Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Stuart Mazell. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here today. And thanks for joining us in person. And thanks to those of you who are joining us online or on the podcast. Uh, today is our last day in this short series entitled Rest in a Restless World. We've seen so far how Jesus really is our rest. Uh, we've seen how we can be distracted from Jesus by so many different things, and we just need to go back to that one needful thing of listening to him. And we've also seen how God has been gracious to give us one day out of seven that we can actually rest from our labors. Uh, today we will be looking at the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4, and, well, I'll let the passage speak for itself on that. Uh, here we go. This is God's Word. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let me pray for us. Lord, we know that your word is good. It is light to us. It is a lamp to our feet. Uh, Your word is profitable for us. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It corrects us. It trains us in righteousness. Your word is what we need. And will you, by your Holy Spirit, today speak to our hearts that we would hear what we need to hear and respond with faith, repentance, and obedience for your glory, for our good, and even for the good of the people around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit, I am fascinated by paradoxes. Let me explain what I mean by a paradox for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about. A paradox is something that seems to be contradictory, but in reality, it may not be so. One of my favorite paradoxes to think about, and and prepare for your brain to hurt a little bit, is the liar paradox. The liar paradox. Now, this has a lot of different forms, but the one that, like, just makes my head spin is this, okay, someone comes up to you and says, what I am now saying is a lie. If the person saying that statement is lying, then what he's saying is not true. But if the statement is not true, then he must not be lying, therefore he must be telling the truth. But if he's telling the truth, then he's not, then he is, Sorry, if that statement is true, then he is lying. And if he's lying, then that statement can't be true. Thus the paradox. Your brain hurt any? 
I mean, it's very, it, 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 it's one of those kinds of statements that philosophers and linguists and, and logicians, they have, they have argued over this for centuries, trying to figure out how to resolve this paradox. Because I think all of us, on some level, we hear it and we go, I know there's a solution to it, I just can't figure it out. You know, there's a lot of paradoxes in the Bible. In fact, Jesus seems to be very fond of using paradoxical statements like the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Or whoever would save his life must lose it and whoever loses his life must will save it. Or whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Right? All of those are, are paradoxical statements. They're not really contradictory, but they seem like it on the surface. And if we dig a little deeper, we'll find out that those statements really have something important for us to understand. I say all that to set up what we're going to talk about today, because we've been talking about rest and how God wants us to rest. But there's a statement in this passage, in fact, it's the final exhortation of the passage that I just read from Hebrews that kind of sounds a little bit like a paradox. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God calls us to strive to enter his rest. Okay? God calls us to strive to enter his rest. And we see that directly from Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now, on the surface, that may seem like, well, wait a second. Am I supposed to rest or am I supposed to work? Am I supposed to strive? Which is it? In order for us to understand this, we need to understand a little bit about the background of the book of Hebrews. Now, unfortunately, the book of Hebrews is one of those perplexing books that has overlapping theological themes, and it can be so dense and so complicated that, as uh, Barnabas Lindars said, the, the letter to the Hebrews is so obviously full of theology that the main problem is not how to dig it out, but how to present it in an assimilable form. Now, if you're wondering, what is assimilable? assimilable not only is that hard to say, but it's not a word that we use very often. It basically, in this context, means in an understandable way. So I'm going to attempt what may be very difficult, to try to peel the onion of the book of Hebrews so that we can understand where he's coming from in this passage. So fasten your seatbelts, because it's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride, but I think if you can follow me to the end, you'll see the payoff. All right. So first, we'll start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, God has already created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, Genesis 2, 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done couple of things about this passage. So we talked about it last week, but I, but I didn't mention this. 
of all the days that God created, there's always evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. But on the seventh day, there's no description of evening and morning. There's just, on the seventh day, God finished his work and he rested. Period. Fast forward a little bit to when the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. We read about that in Exodus and Leviticus, and what well, we read about that in Exodus first. And then God raised up Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And God did all kinds of miraculous feats. He caused the Red Sea to part so that the people could walk through. He provided food from heaven. They called it manna. He did all kinds of miraculous things, and yet, even though those Israelites saw what God had done, they saw these incredible, miraculous events, they didn't actually believe that God was going to do what He promised. We read one of those occasions in Numbers chapter 14. Here's what it says. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Now remember, they were slaves in Egypt. And they're saying it would be better for us to die in Egypt than to follow God. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Do you hear what's underlying all that? They're saying, we don't really believe God. We don't really believe that He has our best interests at heart. We don't really believe that He's going to take us from slavery in Egypt and bring us into the promised land. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt or just die right here than to follow God. Do you hear that? And the Lord, in Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? And then God says, because of your unbelief, you're not going to enter the promised land. Caleb, Joshua, you'll go. The little children, when they grow up, they'll go. But all of you, you will not enter the promised land because of your unbelief. Fast forward again to when David the psalmist is writing a psalm of praise. And at the very end of that psalm, Psalm 95, he says this, Today, if you hear His voice, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day uh, at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so the, the 
Uh, the psalmist David, he's saying, remember what happened to those Jewish folks who were going from slavery in Egypt and going into the promised land? They didn't believe God and they hardened their hearts and therefore God said, you cannot enter the promised land. You cannot enter my rest because of your unbelief. And he says, don't be like them. Don't harden your heart. Don't let unbelief get a hold. Fast forward one more time. Jesus has come on the scene. He has preached his messages. He has died for our sins and risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And there's this group of Christians that the author of Hebrews is writing to because he has heard that they are considering leaving Jesus. They're considering giving up on Jesus. They're considering going either back to Judaism or just giving up on religion altogether. And then he quotes from Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And then, not only does the uh, author of Hebrews say, hey, think about this. He then says, now I want you to think about something else. Chapter 4, verse 8. If Joshua, who led them into the promised land, had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that God was promising them rest, but the promised land was only a partial fulfillment. There was a rest that was better, a rest that was more wonderful, a rest that we still have yet to enter. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Because we have not yet entered that rest. And then he refers back to Genesis in Hebrews 4.4, 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. What he's saying is, to really rest, the final, ultimate rest, is not a land somewhere in the Middle East. And it's not something in this life. It is something where we finally get to be in the unhindered presence of God forever. That is real rest. That is the rest God has for us. And so he says in Hebrews 4, 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You haven't gotten there yet. You're on a journey. You're like the Israelites. You haven't entered the promised land yet, but you've left Egypt. Don't give up on Jesus because He's the one who's going to take you to the promised land of the rest of God forever. And that's when he says in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, if you're following all of that, 
which I know it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful, it's a lot, you may be wondering at this point, okay, what does he mean, strive? Is the author of Hebrews saying that we need to work hard enough in order to earn this rest? Absolutely not. That goes against everything that we know about what Jesus has done for us. Is the author of Hebrews saying that there's a work quota for the people of God? And at the end of time, when you stand before God, is he going to look at you and say, well, here are your records, and it looks like you've got 99 units of striving for the kingdom, but the quota is 100. I'm sorry, you didn't make it. Is that what the author of Hebrews is saying? No, absolutely not. That is not what he is saying. So what is he saying? What does he mean by striving here? And this is where I really want to dig down for a bit. Because the striving that he's talking about, this striving, if you understand this passage, what he's really getting at is this. This striving is engaging in a diligent purposeful and earnest battle against unbelief. That's what the striving really is. A diligent, purposeful, earnest battle against unbelief. It's saying unbelief is so serious, you need to do everything in your power to fight against it. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say by strive. Here's how that plays out. Again, verse 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and I've said this before in this context in this church, but I'll say it again. That could even be translated as, and I think it's better translated as, therefore, as the Holy Spirit is saying. He is saying this today. This isn't just back then. He's saying it right now, today. Today, if you, not the people back then, you, you as an individual, you as a church, you hear his voice. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart the way that they did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So how did the people of Israel harden their hearts in the wilderness. What was it like as in the rebellion for them to harden their hearts? Well, we, we see that in verses 16 through 19. He spells it out. Listen carefully. Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So he's saying, look, the people who fell in the wilderness, the people who rebelled in the wilderness, they were the people that God had brought out of slavery. Verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And then he sums it all up in verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
It wasn't because they didn't work hard enough. It was because of unbelief. It, it wasn't because they didn't meet some kind of work quota. It was because of unbelief. It wasn't because they were really good people underneath the surface as it was, and God just was really mean to them. No, it was because they did not believe God, and therefore they were unable to enter his rest. And the author of Hebrews, he, he picks this back up in chapter 4, verse 2, when he says, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hey, folks, I want you to hear this. Just because you're sitting here listening to the good news of Jesus week in and week out does not mean that you believe it. Just because you hear the words of Scripture does not mean that you believe it. Hearing is not believing. Believing is believing. And that's why, and I think this is the central part of this passage. This is the thing that holds it all together. And this is the thing that we need to listen to very carefully. Hebrews chapter 12 Sorry, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, the day that God is speaking to you, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author of Hebrews knows that just because you belong to a covenant community, that does not mean that you belong to the covenant community. Because what makes you really belong is belief. Believing the promises of God. Believing what God has said. And if we believe, we're His. But if we don't believe, and there's danger, because we can deceive ourselves into thinking, oh yeah, I believe all that. But in reality, we don't. That's why the author of Hebrews says, exhort one another as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but I am going to dig down on this one phrase, the deceitfulness of sin, because I don't think that we really understand it. And I love you. And I don't want you to be deceived by sin. Okay? Sin always lies to us. Always. God always tells us the truth. And sin always lies. Sin always tries to deceive us. Sin tries to convince us that God is lying. That God is holding back something from us. That He really doesn't have our best interests 
at heart. Does that sound like someone you've heard about in this sermon? The Israelites, they were deceived by sin. They saw all these miracles, and yet they said, we don't believe. Sin tries to deceive us so that we won't believe God. So think about it. God made human beings in his image, right? We see that in Genesis 1. And each human being, because they're made in the image of God, they deserve significant dignity and respect because they're made in the image of God. And yet sin tries to deceive us into thinking differently about people. In fact, not valuing them, but devaluing them. Sin tries to deceive us that people who are different from us don't deserve dignity and respect. And so we're tempted to devalue one another. We devalue women. We devalue men. We devalue children. We devalue people from other countries. We devalue people of other races and ethnicities. We devalue people who have different political views than we have. We devalue people who don't behave the way that we think they should. We devalue people who have different religious views than us. We devalue babies in the womb and those same children after they're born. We devalue the mothers who are wondering how I'm going to uh, care for this child after the child is born. We devalue the elderly. We devalue the poor. We devalue the rich. We devalue anyone who is different from us. And I want you to hear that. That is the deceitfulness of sin that is leading us away from the truth of God. And we do not want unbelief to take root in our heart. But that's not the only area in which sin deceives us. If you look around and you'll see that deceitfulness of sin is everywhere. Because God says sexual relations are meant for one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. But sin deceives us into thinking that casual sex is okay. Sin deceives us into thinking that pornography and lust are just fine. Sin deceives us to think that adultery and same-sex sexual relationships and polyamorous relationships and all kinds of different things are okay with God when God says they're not. And when we believe those things, we're being deceived by sin. We're believing deceitful sin over the God who cannot lie. And we need to beware of those things. But even in the area of religious faith, and this is the most insidious, this is the one, this isn't about people out there, this is about us. Even in the area of religious faith, the deceitfulness of sin runs rampant. God says, love your neighbors, but sin deceives us into thinking it's okay to hate people who don't have the same views that we have. God says humility is the way of godliness. But sin deceives us into thinking, I'm really something. I'm smarter. I'm better. 
I'm more moral than all these other people. I'm less tempted by sin than the average person. I'm just all around better. God says, speak the truth in love. And sin tries to deceive us into not speaking at all about God's truth. Or talking about God's truth with little or no concern for other people. No compassion, no care. God says we're not to be judgmental or to condemn others, but sin tries to deceive us into thinking it's okay to judge someone if we're right. It's good to focus on how bad our society is as a whole and not really look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me? God says it is good for us to be quick to listen and to be slow to speak, and to be slow to become angry, but sin tries to deceive us that our angry outbursts are 100% justified. And that our many words are really truly needed, because if everybody would just listen to us, the world would be a better place. I don't need to listen to people. People need to listen to me. All of that, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, all of that is the deceitfulness of sin at work. And this passage tells us that we need to take care, that we need to diligently, purposefully, earnestly watch out for the lies the lies that sin tells us, so that we don't let unbelief take a hold in our heart. We need to remind one another, not necessarily, and, and some of you are going to misunderstand this, and I, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to say it this way because I think it needs to be said this way. Some of us are more concerned about the behavior of another person than we are about the deceitfulness of sin getting in their hearts. Behavior is only the symptom of the thing that is really going on, the disease that is inside us, the disease of unbelief. You can clean up behavior and still not believe. This is an immensely serious issue. That's why I'm spending so much time on that one point. It is so serious. It is so immensely serious because, and listen to this, unbelief and rest are ultimately incompatible. Unbelief and rest are ultimately incompatible. Look at Hebrews 3.19. This really jumped out at me this week as I was studying, and I never had really just how powerful this statement is because he says they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It, it wasn't that God said, well, you don't believe me, so I'm done with you. No, he's saying, you're not able. You're not even able to enter. You cannot enter because you don't believe. To try to understand what I'm saying here, let, or what the author of Hebrews is actually saying, 
Actually, what the Holy Spirit is saying, what if I told you that you could have $1 million today and all you have to do is walk out into our parking lot, click your heels three times. I wish I could do that for you, but that's kind of hard with the boot. And say, there's nothing like a million dollars over and over again. Just do that. And then when you go to your car in the passenger seat, there will be a briefcase full of the moolah. And you'll open it up and you'll go, there's a million smackaroos in here. I dare say none of you believe that that will actually happen. And it won't. Just to be clear. I know. It will not happen. But what if it was really true? What if it really was something that I could do for you to say, all I'm asking you to do is to do this one thing and you will have a million dollars and you all just leave saying, nope. That doesn't sound like that's true. And none of you go home with a million dollars. You know why? You can't because you didn't believe. The million dollars is there for you. You just didn't believe it. That's what God is saying to us. People don't enter rest, not because they're not good enough. No one can be good enough. Not because they didn't work hard enough. No one can work hard enough. Not because they didn't meet their quota of work. No one can do that. It's because they didn't believe that God was going to actually do what he said he was going to do. And that's what he's saying here. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. I know all of this has been a downer, but I want you to hear the good news. The good news that God is calling us to believe. The good news that if we believe it, we will see this rest that the author of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, is talking about here. You see, Jesus will. Jesus will bring all who genuinely believe into the ultimate rest of the new heaven and new earth. He will. If you genuinely believe, He will bring you there. He's already gone ahead of you and He will bring you too. He will not let you fall in the wilderness of this fallen life. He will bring you from slavery to sin to rest in God's presence forever. He will. That's why the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 3.14, don't miss this, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Oh man, I could say so much about that verse, but I'm going to hold back and I'm just going to say this. You will prove that you really believe if you make it to the end. Still believing. That's what he's saying. He's not saying you have to do so much in order to earn God's favor. He's not saying you have to meet some quota. No, he's saying you're going to prove that you really believed in the first place 
if you actually make it to the end. So many people say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh yeah, I follow Jesus anywhere. Oh yeah, I believe all of this. And then somewhere in their life, something happens and they fall away. It's called apostasy. And it's a real thing. No, they didn't lose their salvation. They never had it in the first place because they didn't believe. They thought they did. They tricked themselves. Sin deceived them into thinking they really believed, but they didn't because they did not really focus on Jesus. They were so focused on, what am I supposed to do that they missed Jesus? You see, Jesus... He came and lived that perfect life of obedience that none of us can live. He met the quota, right? He did the work. And then he took all of the sin of those who believe on himself at the cross and he bore the punishment of that sin, of all of those sins, past, present, future, all of our sins. And then Jesus died and was placed in a tomb. And everybody thought it was over. But it wasn't. Because on the third day, he rose from the dead to prove to everybody that he really did accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. He really did save people from their sins. And he really will lead us into the very presence of God and we can have rest with Him forever. That's why the author of Hebrews says, it's those of us who believe that who will enter that rest. Hebrews 4.3 We who believed, if we believed, we will enter. But again, the author is saying that some of us may not believe So today, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to really believe. And if you don't know whether you believe or not, say, Lord, I don't even know if I believe or not, but I need you because I know that sin is deceitful. I don't want to be duped by sin. I want to know your truth, and I want your truth to set me free. So set me free, Jesus. That's what we all need. Every single one of us. Jesus. One of my favorite quotes of all Christianity is from a book written by a man named Augustine. Or Augustine, depending on, you know, how you want to say it. I think Augustine is nicer. Not that that matters. But he wrote this book called The Confessions, where he he spells out his whole life. And in the very first chapter of that book, he says this. Here's the quote. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. See, all of us are striving. All of us are working. All of us are doing things but we're restless. And part of the reason we might be restless is because we've allowed unbelief to enter in. 
our heart will continue to be restless until we find our rest in Him. That's why the author of Hebrews says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's why the author of Revelation can say, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. As long as we live in this fallen world, our rest will be incomplete. You can manage your your household. You can manage your schedule. You can try to set boundaries. But there's always going to be a little bit of restlessness as long as we live in this life. But what's coming is what Jesus has promised where we will put down the work of a a fallen world where we will put down those uh, tools of labor in order to try to earn something from God. We'll put it all down and we'll say, Jesus only is my rest and I get to be in his presence forever. Resting in him. That is the greatest news. That's the kind of news that makes a Presbyterian want to shout like I'm doing right now. Because... It is what we all need. It's all what we want. And yet, do we believe? Do we really believe? You know, it's why we sang that song today. Help my unbelief. Because if we're honest, every single one of us wrestles with not believing. And God says, watch out for that unbelief. Keep coming back to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. Every time you try to convince yourself, I'm going to make it to heaven. I'm going to make it to the new heaven and new earth. I'm going to do this. You're deceiving yourself. You can't. But Jesus can, and Jesus will, for all who believe. So, your action point for today should be obvious. Be zealous. Be zealous. Be earnest. Be zealous to promote belief and actively fight unbelief. What's that going to look like? Keep coming back to Jesus. Confess your unbelief. Talk to other people about the deceitfulness of sin. Because we all have blind spots. We all go astray. Every single one of us. And anybody who thinks that they stand, they need to take heed lest they fall. And most of all, I would just say, if you really want to find rest, if you really want rest, don't give up on Jesus. Remember, we started this sermon with these words. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do we believe it? Take my yoke upon you, 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do we believe it? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Do we believe it? So church, let's grow. Let's grow in trusting that God's promises of rest are truly yes and amen in Christ. And all who believe will enter His rest. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, will you please work in each one of our hearts for every one of us who we don't believe at all that today would be the day that we would hear your voice and we wouldn't harden our heart but we would receive this gift of Jesus and we would cling to him with everything that we have because we know he's our only hope and for those of us who do believe and yet our belief is mixed with unbelief Kill the unbelief in us. And again, fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to throw off everything that hinders us so that we can run this race all the way to the finish line and go into a new heaven and a new earth where we will rest in your care, your love, your truth, your joy forever. Be at work in each one of us to produce that kind of belief that we would never falter. Even though we may fall, we will always get back up and keep going because we know you, Jesus, are our only hope. And we ask this in your name. Amen.